Weeds want to restrict your freedom and crush the spirit of your soybeans. Never fear. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of superior weed control is here with Liberty Herbicide. Stand proud with greater application flexibility, unmatched convenience, and excellent performance combined with the Liberty Link, Liberty Link GT27, and Enlist E3 trait systems. And it has no known resistance in U.S. row crops. Talk with your BASF rep or authorized retailer about Liberty Herbicide. Always read and follow label directions. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. We appreciate it. We wrap up the week in Kansas City. I'm at the Western Farm Show, the 59th Western Farm Show. Great to be here. Haven't been here in many years, so it's good to come back. A lot of memories here at this facility, not only with the Western Farm Show, but thinking about the American Royal and just a lot of good memories. Uh, Special thanks to our affiliate, KKOW, Pittsburgh, Kansas. Steve Scott and the crew sharing their broadcast space with us here and uh, really appreciate them hosting us here at the Western Farm Show. Some other AOA affiliates here as well. KFEQ in St. Joseph, Missouri. KDKD, Clinton, Missouri, and KWIX, Moberly, Missouri, represented here as well. Um, KDKD and Quicks, uh, part of the Alpha Media Group. So uh, AOA affiliates, uh, well represented here at the Western Farm Show. Coming up on our program a little bit later on, we'll talk with Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone, going over some of the numbers from the USDA Outlook Conference going on in Washington, D.C., American Soybean Association CEO Ryan Finley will join us as well talking about this new group of uh, ag groups, this new coalition that's been formed on sustainability, which was the topic of conversation and a speech this morning here at the Western Farm Show by the Kansas Secretary of Agriculture, Mike Beam. And he, um, he was speaking at the breakfast about that very important topic of sustainability and he will be joining us here in just a few minutes at the western farm show we'll talk more about that but very happy to kick things off with the manager of the western farm show guy i've known for more years than either one of us will uh, admit to ken dean good to see you sir mike it's a pleasure to have you with us this year we uh we've done this a time or two but it's been a while right yeah glad to have you back finally it's good to be back for those not familiar with the western farm show I mentioned it's the 59th one. Give us a little history here. Actually, we started out as a hardware show uh, back in 1890, uh, put wow. on by our trade association. And uh, after so many years, it, we had more farm equipment getting into the show and less hardware. Uh, so back in the early 60s, we dubbed the name Western Farm Show, and the rest is history. And when we look at the event now, I mean, you have all the equipment here like you have in the past. But a growing focus has also been with FFA and uh, working several important projects. I know they're collecting food here this year. Right. We've always had a a relationship with FFA, but I think I'm going to brag it a little bit. We feel like we have stepped up our game, but we've brought uh, brought the right partners on board, Mike, with us to help make this happen. So uh, a lot of people behind the scenes are uh, getting the students enthused about coming to the farm show. And I saw an exhibitor yesterday. He was setting up, and he said, Ken, I have to tell you, he said, I'm all over my 50s right now. He said, my first experience. Experience at the Western Farm Show. I was a sophomore on the FFA bus, wow. and I'll never forget that first day I was at your show. So we're trying to provide
provide them an opportunity and hopefully keep them on the family farm. This is a three-day show kicking off today. Running today until uh, uh, 5 o'clock, same thing tomorrow. Uh, and then we wrap up on 4 on Sunday. Uh, a lot of events, including FFA Day today, we'll have uh, our usual livestock, uh, low-stress livestock handling demonstrations tomorrow uh, with Dr. Ron Gill from Texas A&M, his 10th year hmm. for doing this. And then uh, uh, on Sunday, I wouldn't say it's a highlight, but we're proud to do it. It's Military Appreciation Day. We always have a lot of veterans and uh, current active duty personnel that come, and we let them in free, and they always appreciate that. A number of people have already commented how nice it is to have sunshine because that's not always been the case for this show in the past. You know, end of February in Kansas City, you kind of you kind of take your chances. Uh, you know, I think uh, you, you kind of do. You, usually you put a lot of effort into it and hope for the weather. I saw on uh, weather.com today, I think it's in the southeast, a lot of snow right now, a lot of people affected. We're fortunate. We have a little rain Sunday, but, you know, hey, farmers and ranchers deal with that all the time. Yeah. People are streaming in here now. We've had people stop by. We appreciate it. Tell us they, they listen to Adams on Agriculture on their radio station. We really appreciate that. Um, tell us a little bit about what people will actually see here. You've got a lot of equipment on display. Well, we do, and we appreciate this opportunity, Mike, very much. We, uh, I had a, a broadcaster tell me three years ago he'd never been, well, he hadn't been to the show for a long time. He said, Ken, it's like, it's like a buffet for agricultures. <laughs> you know, take a big plate, you walk through the show. And I think about this, you know, it's like Christmas shopping in July. Not every farmer or rancher or comes here is going to buy something, but they're going to come and see something. And hopefully they're planning ahead, whether it's three months, six months, or a year from now. They have a lot of things to worry about as it is, but if they're going to be more productive on their farm or ranch, they have to be better educated, whether it's equipment here or a service or whatever it might be. The other thing, they get to see it in person, and then they get to talk to the people that are here representing the products and services. So uh, whether they're shopping, okay. Uh, otherwise, they're coming to get educated, and maybe they're coming to uh, congratulate those <laughs> Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the vibe is still it's, ringing here, it's right? Ringing, I, mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, this is the home of the Super Bowl champions, and uh, that yeah, that's that kind of lifts spirits here as, as well. Um, yeah, when and we uh, we watching people walk by here now and they are streaming in here so i i I know over the next three days you'll have a lot of people here from a pretty wide area right well we actually have exhibitors from over 25 states uh canada two or three overseas uh but then we also feel like uh, we're going to draw from a pretty big area here to kansas city uh one year just you know through the parking lot uh, it was a rough guess but we probably have guests here from uh, probably 10 to 12 states. And, you know, a lot of that, Mike, they, they enjoy coming to Kansas City. And a lot of these people uh, are traditional people. They come every year. They just need to know when the date is. Uh, they hook up with their favorite exhibitor, and they always bump into somebody. Hey, I haven't seen you since two or three years ago. How are you doing? So, you know, it's, it's a farm show. It's also a farm event. Yeah. And we talked about FFA, and we're watching, uh, you know, the FFA food donation drop going on right across from us. Uh, but to get them as involved as they are, that's a big part of this, isn't it? And you need a lot of help behind the scenes. And as you saw this morning at our event that we had, we have great, great partnerships with the Kansas right. uh, and uh, Missouri FFA. They have been uh, partners for years. We've now hooked up uh, with Christy Larson, the director of education, with the American Royal Association, and she's just she just took it under her wing and just done great things. But you know, I, when I talked to Keith Deitold, who's the uh, Missouri Secretary 
uh, of uh, Missouri FFA Executive Secretary. Uh, you know, every time I see him, I say to him, you did a great job. He says, Ken, it's all about the kids. And that's what it's about. All these kids, are they going to be back on the family farm years from now? Probably not. But the ones that are, we want to make an impact. And uh, they're going to keep feeding you and me. So we want to encourage them so you and I don't go hungry. And even if they're not back on the farm, they will. many of them will be in some ag-related field. And I think what they're seeing here, especially, a good point, uh, especially in our central hallway, uh, we have representation from several colleges around the Kansas City area. They're looking to further their education in, in the world of ag. That's why they're here, and it's a great partnership uh, all the way up and down the main hallway. Good to see you again, my friend, and congratulations. You were recognized and honored this morning at the breakfast for your outstanding service with the uh, Western Farm Show. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Let's make it a shorter time to get you back to Kansas City, we'll, Mike. We'll do that. Thank you. Ken Dean, manager of the Western Farm Show, kicking off right now here in Kansas City. When we come back, we'll talk with the Kansas Ag Secretary, Mike Beam. That's next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Corn, soybean, and cotton growers are in a race against time when it comes to hard-to-kill weeds. Interline herbicide from UPL works fast to eliminate some of the most challenging glyphosate-resistant weeds, including pigweed, water hemp, mare's tail, and ragweed. Interline can be used as a burn-down treatment or as an over-the-top treatment in glufosinate-tolerant crops, including Liberty Link varieties. Ask your retailer or UPL sales representative about Interline, and always read and follow label directions. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, talking with John Doggett, CEO of the National Corn Growers Association, there's no doubt the climate change discussion is not going away. And that's why this low-carbon fuel policy, especially if it expands into more states, offers a great opportunity for the biofuels industry. Absolutely. And, and the corn plant is a wonderful plant. It, it, you know, through photosynthesis, it takes carbon out of the air, puts it in the soil, which is good for the soil. And in the meantime, it, it produces protein and energy. And uh, th- that is, is it's remarkable, the changes we've had in our industry. Uh, one of our board members says, if you haven't been on a corn farm in the last five years, you haven't been on a corn farm. And, and that's so true. The technology that our folks are using is amazing. And the fact that we can address what is one of the most pressing issues in, around the world is a pretty great opportunity. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Do you like what you're hearing on Adams on Agriculture? Continue that conversation, Important to Agriculture, on Twitter. You can follow the talk show at AOA underscore talk show or follow Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Ag. Here you will receive real-time highlights of the show and see what others are buzzing about in the industry. Adams on Agriculture hopes to meet you online. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything. Editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, 
publicity and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And welcome back. We're at the Western Farm Show in Kansas City, joined now by the Kansas Ag Secretary, Mike Beam, who spoke at the opening breakfast this morning. Mr. Secretary, good to see you. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. You know, just as the announcement has come out in the last few days that a number of ag groups are joining together in a uh, sustainability coalition, that ties right into what you talked about at the breakfast this morning, your remarks very much about sustainability and as we move forward, there's going to be an increased emphasis and focus on the environment and the sustainability issues. So it's important for agriculture to be very proactive here. And agriculture does have a good story to tell. Well, we do. And, uh, I, you know, I thought originally when there was a lot of uh, interest and push to focus on sustainability that it might be a, a fad, but uh the fact that some of the, the larger uh, agribusiness companies and, and the private sector, uh, you know, Fortune 500 country, companies, they're demanding uh, that the people they do business with uh, increase or chart their sus- degree of sustainability. And then I did have a chance uh, to go to Taiwan with the U.S. Soybean uh, Council, and when I learned that the Taiwanese consumers, especially the young ones, they were pushing for sustainability. That this is this is the real deal, and uh, so we agriculture, I think, has reached primarily driven by economics and the land stewardship has reached, uh, I think, much higher levels of being sustainable the last 15, 20 years. But we didn't think about it, and so now it's a matter of documenting what we're doing and using technologies to do even better. And a part of the challenge has been how do you define sustainability and different groups and different people have different definitions. How do you see it being defined for agriculture in general? Well, I think you're right. Uh, sustainability will mean different things for folks. I think farmers and ranchers uh, have looked at we've got to be economically sustainable because you know, as I mentioned this morning, over 85% of our farms and ranches are family-owned, so they're looking at future generations. But you can't be economically sustainable without also being, uh, you know, conservation-minded and using the the latest and greatest to, to improve uh, and enhance our our conservation ethic. So that's uh, I think we just. We just need to uh, to document that and challenge each other on how we can improve. 
and be able to be in business while you're doing it, right? Exactly. That's that's the factor. Some of these definitions do include economically sustainable, but you can't overlook that. That's got to be part of it. We're talking with Kansas Ag Secretary Mike Beam. You also touched on some uh, what's a hot topic right now, and that's these imitation meat products, imitation dairy products in the marketplace, whether they're plant-based, cell-based, whatever it may be. Um, as you pointed out today, there is a, a section of consumers that feel strongly about these, so you just can't ignore these or think it's just a fad that may go away. Um, you have to look at this. I know the big challenge for many in the livestock and dairy industries has been not that they're coming into the marketplace, but how they are labeled and and how they are represented. That that's that's a big part of this because you can get consumer confusion, and so we're kind of entering in some uncharted territory here as far as having these products in in the marketplace. So that's again something that will have to be dealt with as we move forward. Yeah, it's it's like I mentioned, it's trying to hit the sweet spot. Uh, on trying to respond to consumers, but at the same time trying to to provide education so they really understand it. But uh, we, I think, the labeling aspect is key. Uh, most most farmers and ranchers, you know, are kind of a free enterprise choice type uh, culture, and so if people are going to make the choice, we want to make sure that they're doing it uh, with their eyes wide open, and that they're and it's not accidentally. Uh, on a fad eating something because they think it's just necessarily better. Uh, so the labeling uh, issue I think is going to be, uh, we're seeing it at the state level, uh, but there's also a lot of push at the federal level, including uh, with FDA, to to really respond to, to the appropriate labeling uh, and use of terminology in some of this. You know, the milk is, that's been out there for 10 years with these other plant-based, quote, milk uh, products without any uh, any oversight or uh, direction from FDA or uh, the appropriate federal agencies. Yeah, we're talking to the dairy industry all the time about efforts to get FDA to step up and enforce existing labeling regulations. But, you know, whether this is, I don't think it's a fad, these new products, but it remains to be seen just how much of the marketplace they will assume. But the one thing I point to is the the changing makeup of of consumers in this country. And if you get enough people that believe, right or wrong, if they believe they're saving the planet by consuming those products, well, they're going to support those products. That's right. And that's what we're up against because, you know, agriculture is just a small percentage of, contributes such a small percentage in the emission of, of greenhouse gases. Uh and we can we can reduce that, but the, how do we address the, the misconception or the perception that uh, particularly animal culture is a significant contributor when it's not? Yeah, climate change, whether you think it's man-made or naturally occurring, we could debate that all day, and people have. But there's no debating the fact that is going to be an emphasis, and there's going to be policy come out on it, and agriculture is going to be a part of that one way or another hopefully an active part as far as getting their voice heard and being able to say hey we're already addressing a lot of these issues we're not part of the problem we're part of the solution here yes and i think that's probably part of what led uh usda secretary sonny purdue to 
and his crew to step out and say, we, you know, we've got to feed many more people in the future. Uh, our customers, our farmers and ranchers, customers of the agency, have uh, lots of pressures to, to at least make some strides in improvement. So the fact that they're stepping out with some initiatives and programs, I think uh, it'll be interesting to see the devil being the details, but that may help in the education and awareness of how important agriculture is worldwide and how uh, environmentally responsible it is. We're talking with Kansas Secretary of Agriculture Mike Beam here at the Western Farm Show in Kansas City. A part of all of this will be water management, critical for all of agriculture, but especially in a state like yours of Kansas. Um, and you talked about that some today, uh, how precision agriculture has made a big difference in, in things like water usage. Well, it has, and, and I didn't show a slide, but, you know, Kansas is in the top five states in the total value of agricultural market output. So we're behind states like uh, California, Texas, Iowa, uh, I can't remember who's fourth, but if you look at the map and where the, the, the big areas are in Kansas or the high plains, it's that area with, uh, you know, a big uh, uh, groundwater supply, the high plains aquifer, with you know a lot more crop production and, and livestock production and the, and the associated processing, so it's it's a huge part of the economic engine of not just Kansas or not just the Midwest but of the entire United States. It's uh, it's been on the it's been an issue ever since I've been following policy for you know 25 years, uh, but at, at, while that supply is diminishing. Um, there are people that are learning more and more about how much more do we have and more importantly how can we stretch this and conserve it and be more sustainable as we mentioned earlier so in the end uh, you know states uh, can only do so much I think you know we're our agency's primarily regulatory with water rights and we can provide resources for uh, research and uh, and try to set a regulatory program that encourages conservation. But in the end, it's got to be driven locally, and we're seeing that. You know, local groundwater management districts, local communities say, hey, we want to make sure we have a strong supply of water for industry, uh, for for drinking water for our families that are here, we want to be able to grow. Uh, What can we do uh, to put some voluntary incentives in place to to stretch this, this supply out? We need to let you go. I know you've got a speaking engagement. I think some FFA members want to hear from you. So appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for everything you do. Kansas Ag Secretary Mike Bean joining us here at the Western Farm Show in Kansas City. Stay with us. We're going to talk with Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone coming up next on AOA. There's more than one way to measure success. Knowing how to measure success on your soybean acres? That's smart. In 2019 trials, Credenz CZ0419GTLL had a 2.3 bushel per acre advantage over a competitive Asgrill variety in North Dakota. So plant your sign of success. Ask your BASF seed advisor about Credenz for a precise variety that fits your field. 
Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Welcome back. We're at the Western Farm Show in Kansas City, not too far away from Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone. Arlen, how are you? Doing well. Looking across the river down your way, hoping you have a, <laughs> enjoy this bright, sunny day we have for you in Kansas City. It's, uh, it's nice to have the sun shining for sure. Well, a lot of attention being uh, focused on numbers coming out of the USDA Outlook Conference. Want to get your thoughts on some of them. Let's start with uh, their acres uh, projections. 94 million acres for corn, 85 million for beans. What do you think of that? Well, it has me a little bit worried because they agree exactly with my projections. <laughs> so uh, when I agree with USDA, that concerns me a little bit. Uh, but I think it's a reasonable expectation right now. What really matters is the planning intentions report survey results from farmers, what they say. These numbers are put together just based on the analysis, uh, the academic analysis, so to speak, of what makes sense looking at the budgets of both sides. And so I think the industry's fairly well agreed on that. But what does the farmer say? What's he facing? What's he want to do? In the end, that's what's going to matter, and that's what will be reflected in March 31 and again in the May uh, WASDE report. And Mother Nature will have something to say about it. Yeah, we certainly saw that last year, and that's certainly true again in the northern plains where we still have a lot of last year's corn in the field, and that's impacting decisions for this next year with the snowpack still there and the soil's very saturated and uh, some of the streams and rivers uh, near bankful already. Now let's look at their price projections, 360 on corn, 880 on beans. What do you think about those numbers? Well, I tend to, I have to, in full transparency, I have to say I'm more of a glass half full type of a guy. Uh, so on the corn side, I have a little bit more optimism there, although it would be a lot more optimism if not for coronavirus. That's still a big problem in, in my mind that we need to know where the end is. On soybeans, um, I fear they may be on the optimistic side there. That doesn't mean I'm necessarily looking for $7 beans or anything like that. Um, soybean market has a tendency to like that $8 level. I just think they're too high on their ending stock. They're too high on their export target. If we look at how they build that, their soybean balance sheet, calling for 320 million bushels of ending stocks, to see 320 million bushels of ending stocks in the stocks use ratio that creates and only have an 880 price means that they are acknowledging that increased export demand to China is going to send non-China business south of the equator to South America. They're acknowledging that problem. Otherwise, we'd be having a battle for, for bean supplies that would send prices higher. Um, we simply have too much demand destruction due to African swine fever, which is getting worse right now because Chinese officials are focused on coronavirus. And in a time of oversupply, we've got record production in Brazil. Now Argentina crop conditions are really good, suggesting if the rains continue there, they could have a bumper crop. And uh, we're expected to increase acreage dramatically here in the United States this year and no real weather problems on the horizon for the soybean crop. Uh, it's just really hard for me to find, figure out how we can kill a third of the world's hogs and continue to increase soybean production on both sides of the equator and expect to not build up surplus supplies. Yeah, the story kind of 
they said it without saying it. The story that's come out of it is of the Outlook Conference is USDA doesn't seem to believe we're going to hit these targets in the Phase One trade deal with China, the forty billion or anything close to that. At least at this point, they don't see it either. Well, the overall, that's what they're saying. Although they still got their soybean export target too high um, because of the Phase One, and that's what doesn't make sense. Why they would do that for soybeans and not for the other commodities? And granted, they don't know what's in the addendum that has the specific targets. And they did say 14 billion in ag commodity exports to China in the 2021 marketing year. But then Sonny Purdue comes out after that and says, "No, our export projections do not include Phase One exports. We do expect that to happen. We just don't have them factored into the balance sheet." So, which is it right now? If you look at what's actually happening, um, U.S. export sales of soybeans are down several hundred million, about 350 million bushels below the seasonal pace they need to be just to hit this year's target. Actual shipments are down 218 million bushels. So right now my export target is 190 million bushels below USDA for this year and uh, similar levels for next year as well. So that gives dramatically higher stocks for next year. Uh, as a result of just that slower export demand. We're talking with Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone. Uh, every time we've talked here recently, we've talked about the coronavirus. As long as that's a big story and it continues to be, continues to grow, it's going to continue to impact uh, the, this whole trade situation and probably further delay those purchases. Yeah, I am in the I'm in the camp that China really wants to needs to however you want to say it live up to the phase 1 trade agreement and that's 36 and a half billion dollars worth of ag commodities. I don't think they can hit the 36 and a half billion. If they hit 30 billion that would be record and that would be really big transforming our agriculture in the United States. So there is I think there's a lot of positive reasons to have hope there. Coronavirus is the big obstacle to that. Now, I think knowing and understanding uh, what I've been able to learn about the Chinese culture, I think they're preparing to make a significant announcement of big purchases just to show that, hey, we're not handicapped, we're still functioning, we're still alive in control, and, and we have the power to keep our commitments, and coronavirus hasn't uh, made us weak. Shipments will be another story. Um, we're already seeing boats having trouble docking at their ports, uh, and that's creating problems. Now, different facilities for soybeans versus pork, granted, but they've got a surplus of soybeans. They've built up their reserves, right? They don't have much room, more room in their reserves. They've been buying a lot from Brazil. Um, so they've, they're going to have a lot of soybeans come from Brazil for a while, and I think they really want to buy distiller's grains and maybe ethanol um, and perhaps some wheat. Um, but the coronavirus has simply handicapped their ability to do what they need to do to move that into the port and to distribute it. And, and it has not peaked yet, and we don't know when that will be. It's just pretty much impossible to realistically talk ag outlook without focusing on China, isn't it? It, it really is. Every day is about China. Um, for a while it was ASF and then the trade war and now coronavirus. And that's because 
China is the biggest importer of commodities in the world, and also the consumers of commodities. Uh, 1.4 billion people consume a lot. Um, one of the things that we've seen throughout this is people staying at home, and in the big cities um, are people who are on the ground in China will tell us uh, the big apartment buildings people live in will allow one person from each household to leave once every two days to go out and get supplies. Um, checking their temperatures when they return, make sure they don't have any temperature, etc. But that is causing a shift toward a more staple diet, more starch, less protein. Um, that's one reason we've seen a little bit firmer wheat prices in China and uh, perhaps some more need for some milling wheat. Um, but it is negatively impacting demand for protein, although the deficit of protein there is so great anyway. I think that the demand for importing is still there. They just can't do it. Meanwhile, the dynamic in the countryside that we've talked so much about for weeks now, the strong basis, um, do you see farmers continuing to hang on to their grain? Uh, we know about some quality problems and things like that, uh, but uh, talk to a a guy from an ethanol plant yesterday uh, talking about he needed corn. So we're, we're seeing this push-pull out there. What do you, how do you see this playing out? Yeah, as the temperatures are starting to warm in some of the southern and eastern portions of Midwest first, we are seeing some farmers saying and checking their corn and finding out it's some quality issues. And so even though they don't want to sell, they've got some government checks that help pay for continuing to store they're having to move a little bit of corn. And I think that's going to increase as the temperatures warm up. And so the industry has to try to find a home, someone to take that lower quality corn. This year's corn is wetter than normal. Um, it has a lower test weight. It has a little lower protein content level. In the end, I think that increases the consumption. We're going to move that corn through the system faster than what the trade is expecting. And, and in the end, that's going to be positive, but in the near term, it does create some problems, and uh, no one really wants to sell at these levels, but they're finding they're going to have to start, and I think that's going to increase in the weeks ahead. Yeah, we're, we're hearing these stories that because of the quality, the poor quality of some of this grain, it's taking more of it to, to equal what they would normally uh, uh, use, uh, whether it's for feed or whatever the purpose may be, uh, just because of the quality of it. And that's why we could see USDA significantly up, upgrade its feed usage estimates and ethanol usage estimates for the current marketing year. We started to see the effects of that get confirmed in uh, the February 1 crush data, which covered the month of December for corn grind in ethanol, um, using about 4% more corn to get the same amount of ethanol. We anticipate we're going to see more of that in the future. We're hearing anecdotal reports of something similar in livestock as well. Yeah, whether it's for feed or for ethanol, we're, we're hearing more and more of those reports. All right, thanks a lot, Arlen. Good to talk with you. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Take care. Arlen Sitterman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone. Stay with us. More coming up on AOA. There is more than one way to measure success. Knowing how to measure success on your soybean acres? That's smart. 
In 2019 trials, Credenz CZ0419 GTLL had a 2.3 bushel per acre advantage over a competitive Asgro variety in North Dakota. So plant your sign of success. Ask your BASF seed advisor about Credenz for a precise variety that fits your field. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. 21 farm and ranch groups have launched Farmers for a Sustainable Future, a coalition committed to environmental and economic sustainability. One of those groups is the American Soybean Association. Their CEO, Ryan Finley, joins us now. Ryan, good to talk with you again. Tell us about uh, this coalition and why it's so important for agriculture to uh, be proactive and have a voice in this conversation that's going on when it comes to sustainability and environmental issues. Hey, Mike, it's great to be on. Great to visit with you again, as always. Uh, So Farmers for Sustainable Future is actually a public-facing coalition that has been working behind the scenes for over a year. And I say it's uh, behind the scenes because last year new members of Congress came in and there there were some really crazy comments made about agriculture, greenhouse gas emissions of agriculture today, how farmers actually farm today. And a lot of us in D.C. and around the country were raising our, our, raising our eyebrows to say, this isn't agriculture and this, these facts that they're throwing out there are just completely wrong. And so this group of, uh, of agricultural commodity groups and other general ag organizations got together and said, how do we educate members of Congress? So that's how it was born, really to educate members of Congress. And this week, the the group of 20 plus formally announced publicly that we're going to be out there to educate uh, elected officials, policymakers, media, and the general public on all aspects of the the benefits of agriculture, but really focusing on that environmental impact. Because there are going to be policies implemented that will very much impact agriculture, and you want to make sure they have accurate information or if they're working off misperceptions or wrong information, uh, those policies could be very detrimental to agriculture. So it's very important that uh, ag's voice is heard in this ever-growing conversation, discussion on these environmental issues. That's, that's exactly right. Yep. There is, there's actually a committee. It's called the Committee on Climate Crisis, and it's in the House of Representatives. And so they're looking at policy initiatives all over the place, and some of it is greenhouse gases, Some of it is specific to carbon sequestration. Others are practices that would happen within the transportation industry or within agriculture. And I think our our point in communicating, not just with that committee, but other elected officials and policymakers, is to help make sure that if there's a baseline established, that we're all operating from the baseline of how agriculture works today. And agriculture today is very different from 30 years 30 years ago or 50 years ago. I mean, our ability to produce more per acre with the same or even fewer inputs is remarkable today. And that's, and so, and and it's not just a talking point. I mean, there are numbers to back that up. And so we need to show those numbers to the policymakers so that they understand if they're, if they actually implement some of this policy, that the policy is, is reflective of agriculture today. And I understand people have 
varying opinions on on climate change but there's no <laughs> debating the fact that there will be policies addressing this moving forward this this issue is not going away no matter how you feel about it so you you better be part of uh, this uh, conversation because it's going to happen and it's going to have some tangible effects as far as policy that's right that's absolutely correct and and we did a we did a survey last year of farmers from all over the country, and it, it was pretty fascinating because when we talked about sustainability, there was very little agreement on what sustainability meant. There was a little bit of frustration or even fatigue from some farmers talking about sustainability, but as soon as we talked about conservation, it was near unanimous that farmers were supportive of conservation, wanted to engage in conservation practices said that that's a long-term part of their farm, is that they have done conservation practices in the past and plan on doing them into the future as well. And in, really, in reality, talking to a policymaker, those are interchangeable. So to a farmer, they're very different, or it may be the terminology that we use is different, but to people that are working on policy in DC, they're saying, oh, well, yeah, when we talk about sustainability, we're talking about conservation practices. And so our job is to make sure that we're, when we're talking to members of Congress, that we're talking about some of the stuff that farmers are really doing today. I, th- I think farmers are sustainable. I think farmers do pay attention to the to climate variation. I think that all of this is part of agriculture today. We just need to make sure that we're communicating the right terms to policymakers and, and have a seat at the table. And then you get into issues like is it voluntary or mandated? Uh, are we talking <laughs> about incentives? I mean, th- then you start getting into a lot of these other things. Uh, in the past, when this discussion has come up, uh, it seems like agriculture has been kind of defensive because it seemed like a lot of um, regulation was going to come down on them and, and in some cases maybe threaten uh, their economic uh, viability, whether or not they could even stay in business to adhere to some of the things were being proposed. So that's why it's important as well to be part of this discussion. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. I mean, we have millions of acres enrolled in conservation practices. We have millions of farmers that are doing practices today, whether it's cover crops or minimum tillage or no-till. I mean, there's a ton that is going on in agriculture today. That, that we just need to communicate. I think some farmers say, well, that's just practice. That's, that's, our, that's how we farm today. That's what we do. In reality, the perception in Washington, D.C., among some policymakers is very different from that. And so we need to be able to explain, hey, agriculture today is remarkable. And what we're doing from minimizing greenhouse gas emissions or sequestering carbon um, and, and then you're right. We do need to have that conversation of what's mandatory and what's voluntary. But uh, at the beginning, helping policymakers understand that you, you can go out there and set mandatory standards, but holy mackerel, we've done quite a bit from the voluntary side over the last 30-plus years. Ryan, thanks for joining us. See you next week in San Antonio for Commodity Classic. Excellent. Safe travel to you and, and the listeners that are heading down. All right. Thanks a lot. Ryan Finley, CEO of the American Soybean Association, as we wrap up our broadcast from the Western Farm Show in Kansas City, kicking off its three-day run. Again, our thanks to our affiliate KKOW, Pittsburgh, Kansas, for hosting us here at their booth at the Western Farm Show. Have a great weekend, everyone. Hope you'll join us Monday on AOA. There's more than one way to measure success. Knowing how to measure success on your soybean acres? That's smart. 
In 2019 trials, Credenz CZ1859 GTLL had a 2.9 bushel per acre advantage over a competitive Asgro variety in South Dakota. So plant your sign of success. Ask your BASF seed advisor about Credenz for a precise variety that fits your field. Always read and follow label directions.